Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight. I'm co-host Nick Preciado and editor at San Jose Spotlight. I'm here today with two top officials in Santa Clara County government for a mid-year check-in following a legislative break in July. Elected leaders cut the ribbon on a new residential treatment center for serious mental illness today. It's the latest effort by the county and its partners to address a mental health and substance use crisis enacted last year after an increase in suicides and drug overdoses, as well as an inadequate number of treatment beds and the overuse of prisons for those in need of treatment. Here to talk about where that crisis stands, as well as her priorities for the next legislative session, is Susan Ellenberg, president of the Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors. She also chairs the county's Public Safety and Justice Committee and is vice chair of the Finance and Government Operations Committee. The supervisor is also a board member of Early Childhood Education Organization, First Five Santa Clara County. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Nick. Glad to be here. Also joining us to talk about his priorities is James Williams, the new county executive leading local government. The Board of Supervisors will look to him to help advise how to tackle issues like the mental health crisis, in addition to the longtime need for a new county jail and a potential budget shortfall in the next fiscal year. Williams has been with the county for over a decade, having previously served as county council and deputy county executive. Welcome to the show, Mr. Williams. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. So, uh, Supervisor Ellenberg, as board president, what is your focus for the next year? What do you hope to accomplish? So, thank you, uh, Nick. Again, really glad to be here today. As county government, let me just give you a, a quick overview. We are responsible for solving frankly, the biggest challenges that our communities face. And at the the top of that list is uh, homelessness and affordable housing, uh, mental health and substance use disorders, uh, reform of the criminal uh, legal system, and at the top of my agenda, uh, broad access to high quality, partially publicly funded childcare. So all of these, um, all of these really larger than life societal challenges are certainly bigger than any one entity could could tackle alone. So my approach has been to be very collaborative, and 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 I've had success in creating changes that benefit our communities through partnerships with stakeholders, nonprofits, businesses, um, and the city and state governments. You mentioned uh, in your introduction today that we cut the ribbon on our 650 South Baskin uh, adult residential facility today, which will add 28 beds to our system of care. And this is just one of many expansions that's underway by the county. Uh, Since my colleagues joined me in declaring mental health and substance use disorders a public health crisis in January of, of 2022, the county has expanded contracts to add 99 beds. We're currently constructing 123 beds at at county properties, including the 28 at South Bascom. And the board has designated funding for another 173 beds in development. So absolutely, we are going to continue to prioritize uh, expansion of services. And that really means slots for treatment and workforce and facilities for mental health and uh, substance use disorders. We're also going to continue to focus very intently on housing. Uh, Traditionally, counties are are not necessarily in the housing business. That's something that that cities do, but thanks to uh, Measure A uh, and the $950 million bond that county voters approved in 2016, We have gotten into the housing finance uh, business and we've approved over $669 million uh, in multi 
family housing development, uh, 4,400 new apartments, uh, all 689 units renovated across 50 developments, and we've leveraged those county dollars four to one uh, using outside dollars. We're seeing success. We are, we are closing the delta on incoming and outflowing from, from homelessness. When we first started this work, for every uh, person that we were housing, uh, three or more were losing their housing. That ratio is now down to about 1.7 or 8 uh, people losing their housing. So we're coming closer to functional zero, but that will continue to be a priority, and particularly uh, family homelessness. Uh, the last point in time count um, showed us that the, the demographic that is growing in experiences of homelessness are families. So through projects like the, the Heading Home campaign and, um, and an additional emphasis on prevention, we're going to be working hard here too. And uh, just a quick word about prevention. Uh, the University of Notre Dame recently published a study evaluating our county's uh, homelessness prevention program and found st statistical significance in our methods and, and we are working to improve and expand our model and cities and counties across the, the country are looking to our model as an example. Uh, we'll continue to work with work on investing in children and families, building on the $20 million investment uh, in children and their welfare through one-time uh, ARPA allocations. Ultimately, I'm looking to see this county uh, providing, ensuring universal access to childcare as a public good. And I'll say this uh, about that. If you wanna see economic stability and mobility, there is nothing more compelling uh, than, than creating access to quality, affordable childcare. And by extension, this impacts entire families. The Council for a New America did a study uh, last year that demonstrates very compellingly that the US economy uh, loses about $122 billion every year due to lack of a coherent and cohesive system. So I'm trying to focus on an economic narrative, helping people understand that whether or not they have children, frankly, whether or not they like children, they are impacted by the absence of, uh, of a cohesive childcare system. Uh, and just the final piece that, that we're working on are, is um, uh, criminal justice reform, which in some ways overlaps significantly with um, mental and behavioral health issues. The culmination of nearly a, a work centered on stakeholder and community perspectives, my Alternatives to Incarceration initiative uh, has yielded 21 recommendations for rehabilitative approaches to our justice system, and that was presented to the Board of of supervisors in June. We'll be hearing reports in the coming months on how each one can, can be executed and how we can continue to bend that arc of justice toward a less punitive uh, approach and one that centers more on people. That was a lot to say, but there is so much going on. Try to do that precisely as possible. No, that's great. Thank you for breaking that down for us, Supervisor. And uh, Mr. Williams, maybe you could talk about your priorities. You've worked with the county for 13 years, I said, or uh, I believe you said, uh, but you just started as county executive last month. What are your priorities for the next year and uh, what overlap is there with uh, the Supervisor? 
Well, I think Supervisor Elmberg laid it out really beautifully. You know, the the Board of Supervisors sets our policy agenda, and administration's task is to figure out the best, most effective way to effectuate and implement those policies. And there is no question that for this board, uh, for each one of the five supervisors, access to high-quality behavioral health and medical care is the top priority and has been a huge focus for the county and is going to continue to be a focus for um, for some time to come because this is a complex system. These are complex challenges. Uh, it's a, an area where there's a lot of state initiatives happening and reforms occurring, uh, and we will need to continue to focus our resources, our attention, and our dedication uh, in that space. Uh, you mentioned uh, the the facility that was renovated uh, that we had the opening for today at 650 South Bascom. We've got a 77-bed uh, behavioral health facility in the VMC campus under construction. We've got so many initiatives underway across the county um, and uh, in partnership with many, many others. So that's one huge area of focus uh, for the entire county organization, and it touches upon um, not just our healthcare delivery system, um, but also our social services and uh, criminal justice systems as well. Uh, and our continued focus on housing. The supervisor mentioned and talked about some of the great work there. When Measure A uh, is completed, uh, we will have created housing opportunities for more than 14,800 residents. Uh, that is extraordinary. And, uh, and more than 40% of those units set aside for folks who are previously uh, unhoused with family members. And, you know, it's just, um, uh, you know, it's, it's work that, uh, as was mentioned before, wasn't, you know, isn't a traditionally county focus, but we have led the state and we will need to continue to find ways to do that. And that brings me to kind of a third key area, which is, you know, this is an environment of significant fiscal um, challenges for us. Uh, and that's something as uh, administration we have to tackle. Um, and so, you know, making these things work as efficiently and effectively as we can uh, in an environment where uh, we are fiscally constrained uh, uh, is uh, a challenge. But one of our priorities is to make sure we have the fiscal strength to put those resources where they're most critically needed and in a way that is thinking of the county organization in the long run uh, in order to help ensure the long-term well-being and welfare of our entire community. Now, last year, supervisors declared a mental health and substance use crisis. Uh, Supervisor Ellenberg, you mentioned that a bit. Um, since then, the county's worked on adding more treatment and detox beds, as you mentioned, the implementation of uh, the 988 mental health crisis hotline, as well as looking at future initiatives like Governor Gavin Newsom's care court. Uh, I'm curious because it, it seems like there's the will to want to implement this, but I think that a big obstacle for this is the funding. And I, I'm curious to know from both of your perspectives, really, where the funding for some of this stuff can come from. Is that local funds? Is that like a mix of state and federal resources? I can I can start with that. You know, it's it's you're absolutely right to identify funding as a critical challenge. And one of the things that that is somewhat concerning around some of these state initiatives is um, to the extent that they're reallocating. Uh, existing funding as opposed to actually growing the pie and providing new sources of funding to tackle the challenges that we have. Because to the extent that they're moving funding from prevention or other community-based supports to different types of activities, um, 
that may temporarily plug a gap in one place, but actually create a bigger challenge uh, elsewhere and create bigger challenges as time progresses by taking funding away or reducing flexibility for counties. And one of the things that's important is, you know, Santa Clara, and we've been a leader, statewide leader. And so for us, having flexibility to innovate and to be creative and to find new effective uh, solutions to these vexing challenges uh, is really critical. And we get concerned when there's state mandates that lock up, tie down, restrict and limit our ability to do that in order to find those opportunities for innovation. Um, so those are some of the concerns. In terms of the funding overall, you know, the, the reality is this, this work, healthcare more generally, it is a mix of federal and state money. A lot of it is actually uh, indirectly federal. Um, and, you know, and then there are these dedicated revenue sources. Um, and so we have to figure out the best, most effective ways statewide to draw down as much federal revenue as we can to provide services. As a county, we have to figure out the, the best and most effective ways to draw down the state and federal revenues in order to bring those uh, resources into our communities of most need. And then we can create models of best practice that can be shared throughout the state and throughout the country um, because, like I said, we're a place that does do a lot of innovation, is forward thinking, and is willing to take risk and be a leader uh, in the work that we do. But ultimately, when you're talking about what we're talking about, there is a need. If this is a top state priority, there's a need for new resources, not just shifting resources. Thank you. Uh, Supervisor, anything to add to that? Uh, sure. Uh, first of all, I, I am in complete agreement with uh, James's assessment of our, of our current situation. I do want to note, though, that we are putting significant general funds into this work uh, as well. In fact, many orders of magnitude greater than we are required uh, to do by the state. So by making that investment of general funds, that's further uh, proof, as it were, that, that this county is absolutely dedicated not to doing just what we are required by state law to do, but doing everything we possibly can. Um, certainly additional funding is needed because the expectations from the state are that we grow capacity. Uh, whether it's more people um, becoming eligible for uh, forced conservatorship or more people moving through the care court system, if we're actually going to serve those folks, we need beds, we need um, uh, employees, staff that will provide the services, we need inpatient and outpatient access. So the the challenge for us often is that we are the implementers. Uh, the At the state level is where the, the grand laws and new edicts are passed. And part of our job, frankly, is to be strong advocates for implement, for the county implementers. And James and I both work very hard to build and maintain relationships with our um, state assembly members and senators so that we can be in partnership with them and explain, love this idea, love, frankly, that the state, both the legislature and the governor's administration are focusing on mental health and substance use disorder in a way that 
they haven't, frankly, for a long time. This is long overdue, but we welcome it. Uh, we need to work with them to make sure that these great intentions are actually realized. Just running with that thread a bit longer, how do you see the county implementing those requirements uh, with, you know, a potential lack of infrastructure? Where are these beds and workers going to come from? You know, funding is one thing, but I know um, we talked somebody to somebody recently, I believe at Pathway Society, about people filling in and working with uh, drug treatment and detox treatment. And somebody said, I, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was like workers in these kind of jobs aren't just lining up down the street. It takes a particular kind of person to do this work. So I'm just curious from that perspective, how does the county see getting this done? You're totally right about that. Um, and that's why we've been making a lot of investments in uh, supporting pathways for folks to uh, enter the workforce in thinking holistically around that and thinking uh, um, from a long-term perspective. Uh, we've created opportunities and vehicles and, and promotional pathways, uh, support that we have provided for our uh, CBO partners, um, work that we're doing with, um, with uh, colleges, universities, and creating uh, pi career pipelines. Um, and, you know, that obviously needs to happen more broadly at scale because this is not something by any means that's unique to Santa Clara County or the Bay Area or frankly even California, but it's it's certainly a statewide challenge, uh, and so continued investments uh, are needed there and needed in a way that that has that long term perspective because um, where um, th there's always a desire to kind of plug those gaps you know, in the immediate, but you know but you we need you know this this. Um, you 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 want to find folks for whom this is a calling, and you want to be able to support them in a career that's a sustainable career of providing those services and support in the community. And look, that's true across so much of what the county does. I mean, one of the reasons I love the county as an organization is we're the safety net service provider. So we're talking a lot about behavioral health today, but uh, that touches, and these same issues touch on um, the folks who work with our inmates in jail, the folks who care for people in our hospital system providing medical care, the um, <clears throat> social workers who work in our social services agency. You can go department by department. Our county is a service provider that's about taking care of people and families. And so these are um, issues that are actually uh, in some ways shared issues across a lot of our workforce around how do you take care of the people who take who spend their lives taking care of others. I think that's so beautifully said and, and it's important to note that so many employees are not only caregivers but we think about the humans on the other side they are caring for folks who are broken in so many ways, who are struggling with mental illness, with addiction, with extreme poverty, with family separation issues. I mean, this is emotionally exhausting work. I want to just add one piece um, to James's description of, of the work that we're doing around building the workforce. Uh, one of one example really of innovative thinking is looking at our own hiring processes and seeing where we may be self-limiting. For example, if we require a particular degree for a job um, and aren't finding people, we need to think about not lowering standards ever, but 
determining whether this degreed person needs to be in this job or whether it may be appropriate to have peer counselors or advisors or um, more entry-level folks open the net wider so that more people can can qualify for these jobs. And that's a, a piece of how we need to be thinking about our workforce really across the whole county. We have a significant number of unfilled positions. We are understaffed in far too many departments. And um, I know that one of James's his priorities is really thinking hard about our uh, recruitment and retention policies and how we how we step that up in the coming year. Well, let's stick with workers for a sec then, because the Board of Supervisors did just approve before the legislative break in July, cutting hundreds of vacant positions, uh, putting some projects on hold. This was all to address a looming $120 million deficit. The unions, uh, the union represented workers had a problem with this on top of the expectation, uh, you know, that the deficit will increase $258 million next fiscal year. I believe that was from former county executive Jeff Smith, or he was also concerned about that. So with this budget shortfall and, and cutting vacant positions, I mean, is that more about narrowing, kind of like you're talking about supervisor, narrowing it to really figuring out what positions are needed? Like, let's say in terms of mental health treatment were any of those vacant positions cut or were those kind of jobs kept because that's what you're trying to fill? Sure. Well, first of all, we, we were very careful um, to not fully cut unfunded, uh, unfilled, funded, unfilled positions in any uh, single department. Uh, after a few iterations, we, we identified or administration identified a prioritization uh, process that the board was able to support but I want to make clear why cutting funded, unfilled positions is significant and why the unions were rightfully uh, troubled by this. It sounds at first blush like this shouldn't be a problem. Nobody's in the job, nobody's hurt. But here's what that really looks like. We, the Board of Supervisors, um, in the past had approved administration's uh, request to add those positions. And those positions were added, presumably, because there was work to be done in those departments and a sense that there weren't enough employees doing whatever that particular job was. So when we cut unfilled positions, what we are telling our employees to some extent is there's no cavalry coming, that we're not cutting back on the work, but we're telling you that we are not going to look for more people. And in fact, we're going to take those codes away. So it creates you know, some very real stress that the overworking and the understaffing will continue for the foreseeable future. Uh, it is certainly far preferable to cutting uh, actual jobs and we try to avoid that um, you know, to the very, very greatest extent possible. But there is an impact in, um, in cutting unfilled funded positions that's very real. The, the supervisor is absolutely right about the about the impact, um, but there's a, there's a few realities we have to grapple with in local government. So one is uh, there's only one entity that gets to print money, uh, and that's the federal government. And if you haven't visited the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, you should check it out. It's a pretty awesome uh, bureau um, with you know, some it's nifty to see the whole sheets of currency printed out, but we don't get to do that. Um, and the other is the is the just the reality that uh, it we have very very limited uh, very limited means to
to identify ways of um, ongoing revenue. And so because of that, and because we have to balance the budget, there's difficult choices that have to be made. And so we know that there is so much unmet need. We know that that need affects tremendously vulnerable families and communities. We also know that that places really significant burdens on those uh, folks in our organization who dedicate their lives to helping those families uh, and can at times absolutely feel the overwhelm, right, from that. Um, and we have to have the budget balance. And so um, we, um, we had to make some decisions in that last round related to vacant positions. We're going to have to make some tough decisions in the upcoming budget because uh, there's there's definitely a gap there as well. Uh, and I think we're just in a different fiscal environment than we have been in the last few years. But it's not something that you know hasn't happened before in the past. And we'll get through it together. And we have to find every opportunity we can, as I said before, to draw down as many federal, state, and other resources as we can to expand and preserve and extend programs. We have to find every opportunity we can to innovate and to identify ways of doing things differently. Uh, and we have to recognize that we have the resources that we're able to have um, and um, you know, make uh, the best decisions we can given that reality. Uh, and that's tough when you're talking about an organization like the county that does safety net work. Um, I think it's, you know, all, all levels of government do important work to keep the fabric of society together, but there's a special place for the work of counties. And, uh, and that makes it all the more tough because every which way you turn, almost everything that the county does is about those kinds of services. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hello, Josh Bruce here, co-founder of San Jose Spotlight. Did you know that San Jose Spotlight is Silicon Valley's only nonprofit news organization? That's right. Our impact journalism is funded by generous readers like you. And this year, we have plans to expand our reporting to other cities in Santa Clara County. If you find value in our reporting, consider becoming a sustaining member today with a monthly or annual recurring donation by visiting our website, SanJoseSpotlight.com. Thank you. As you walk around the neighborhood, you may have noticed that yards have evolved with less grass and more native plants. How is your yard looking? Are you ready to replace your water-thirsty lawn and create a modern and beautiful water-efficient landscape? If you live in Santa Clara County, Valley Waters rebates can help you pay to upgrade. Visit watersavings.org today to evolve your yard. I also wanted to touch on um, the county jail, a unique county issue. Um, it's been a decade, maybe, if not a little longer, that this has been an issue about building a new 
County Jail. Uh, on top of that, there have been calls to build a mental health facility, facility. Sorry, let me say that again. On top of that, there have been calls to build a mental health facility to avoid warehousing those with mental illness in jail simply because there's nowhere else to put them. Um, Mr. Williams, you previously said that the county doesn't have the luxury of building one or the other and that the challenge is finding the resources to do both. We've talked about, you know, the money issues facing the county and, and not just Santa Clara County specifically, but with this jail, I think the estimated costs are approximately $689 million. So, uh, even with the money aside, how do you both look at balancing the need for a new jail and also mental health treatment? I'm happy to start from the policy level, and, and James has been very deeply engaged uh, in this issue for, for more than a decade. Um, first of all, I want to address the, the fallacy of mental health facility or jail. Number one, there is no single mental health facility to build. We are building out a continuum of, of care. That's where we started the, the conversation. We need uh, locked acute beds. We need subacute. We need crisis residential. We need uh, board and care. We need step down. There, there's never going to be a single facility, um, but we are building the, the continuum. Um, where I lobbied, uh, pretty heavily to put a, a pause on the jail uh, was because as much as we need many things at the same time, I didn't feel confident that we could take on major capital projects of such significance at the same time. And frankly, I was concerned that the mental health facilities would be pushed off. Um, our jails are in very poor condition, no question. Um, but they exist. The mental health facilities did not exist. So I wanted to, and my, my colleagues, fortunately a majority of them agreed, to put a pause on, on discussion about the jail and really focus on the mental health facilities. And the, the other fallacy I'll address is that there's some pot of money and we're deciding spend it on a jail, spend it on mental health. That money doesn't exist. If, if we're going to build a jail, we're going to finance it with lease revenue bonds. There's funding that is specifically available for carceral institutions, which is a very interesting uh, uh, ideology to begin with. If you think about funding that's available there compared to funding that's available for mental health and treatment facilities, um, they're funded differently with different dollars. They're not interchangeable. Um, and, and James is right that we need uh, both and. Yeah, I, I would just add to that that um, you know we do need both and and the supervisor is absolutely correct about different funding streams um, and the reality is um, you know the court has placed certain people in our care um, the inmates there we are charged with their care and the the um, facilities that we currently have uh, to care for them are not adequate don't meet constitutional standards. Uh, they just don't. And so we don't have a choice to continue to not uh, have facilities that allow for the programming, the behavioral health services, the out-of-cell time, and the medical care that those inmates need, deserve, are entitled to. Um, and so we have to deal with that challenge, whether we want to or not, we don't have the luxury of ignoring that. And absolutely, we have these enormous 
community needs. Um, and so we are doing uh, um, both and we have to do both. And we are building and expanding as we've already talked about the behavioral health facilities. And we're gonna to continue to do that work because we need to. And we need to do the work that we have to do with our custodial facilities because we uh, have to do it legally, but we need to do it uh, morally as well because those are folks that we have a duty to take care of. Uh, so we're gonna figure out a way how to get them both done. Thank you for clarifying that, uh, both of you. Uh, I know we're running out of time. I have one last question here. Um, I know sometimes there are concerns uh, that the county and the city of San Jose uh, are working in silos. I think that some of you are working on some of the similar issues. Uh, Supervisor, you were saying that the county didn't used to be involved in housing and now you are. Uh, homelessness is another area where that overlaps also with housing, uh, the mutual need for supportive services. So I'd like to hear from each of you how the county and city can better work together to address issues when there's overlap. Well, I, I first want to say, uh, and, and, and I'll talk about San Jose specifically, but I just want to acknowledge we've got 15 cities in our county. And obviously, San Jose is the largest by, and by a huge order of magnitude, and it's a different relationship as a result. Uh, but I don't want to forget the other 14 cities. And we have incredible partnerships with all of them as well, uh, and deep partnerships uh, with those cities, uh, because it's a whole of community response to, a, to almost everything that we deal with. Um, and cities and counties, you know, have different roles in a lot of places and spaces, um, but roles that are complementary. Uh, and I think we have done really extraordinary work. One of the areas where there has been for years now just outstanding collaboration with the city of San Jose is on housing. They, uh, they have a great housing department. We have excellent relationships at the staff level uh, between their housing department and our Office of Supportive Housing. The collaborations are deep. Uh, they're longstanding. They've been incredibly effective. Uh, and look forward to those continuing and deepening. Uh, and we have similar partnerships in many other spaces and places from emergency services and response to uh, partnerships on, on even smaller things related to um, uh, even things like parks and recreation and how our expressway systems integrate with, with, uh, with the city's road system. So we always find those opportunities to collaborate. But, but I did want to begin by referencing the other cities too, because one of our responsibilities as a county is, is uh, to think and act regionally. Uh, and I think that's one of the places where we can bring, we bring a lot to the conversation, uh, working with San Jose, of course, and with the other 14 cities, and frankly, the dozens of school districts. We shouldn't forget about them as well. And the deep partnerships that we have with our Office of Education and with the school districts. Uh, and with our other regional entities, whether it's VTA and the Water District or some of the Bay Area-wide entities too. And so we, we uh, sit in a unique space where uh, we get to engage with all of those different layers and thinking about what are the continuums of care that we provide in services? What are the ways we can find synergy? How can we leverage resources? Because at the end of the day, we're talking about uh, the people living, working, playing, raising families here in Santa Clara County geographically in this space, this place. Uh, and we're figuring out the ways to take the best possible care of this wonderful community. San, the city of San Jose is one of the, the many partners that we we work with, just as, as James described. I'll add uh, 
an interesting, what I think, a new, really strong relationship that's developing is between our Office of Children and Families Policy and the San Jose Office of Economic Development, which initially doesn't, doesn't necessarily sound uh, like a natural partnership, but we are looking and, and we are investing to the tune of uh, $15 million in ARPA grants to, uh, to support the creation or repurposing or expansion of childcare facilities. And every childcare facility is a small business and cities have a strong interest in attracting and retaining uh, small businesses, not and and particularly the childcare businesses, will help to attract and retain young families, and that's the demographic that are leaving cities right now. So, whether it's the the tax revenue or the or the goodwill or some other purpose, cities essentially need to be in the childcare business with us. And that is proving to be a really exciting new uh, opportunity. And, and I look forward to, to much synergy there. I've been speaking with Santa Clara County Supervisor Susan Ellenberg and County Executive James Williams. Thanks for coming on the show, you two. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nick. That's it for this episode of The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight. I'm editor Nick Preciado. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.